The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have not been paying attention When you were just talking to me It's okay. Oh, okay. I don't even have any notes. Is that awful? You don't need them. Exactly. It's driving me out of my Almost. Oh, yeah. Almost there. It's getting better. <laughs> it's almost daytime, right? He's been practicing, folks. It's, oh. it's like 9 a.m. for him today, right. so. Hey, you did it! I'm so proud of you. Took seven tries. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Look at Murphy, he's so cute. He's impressive. We gotta get him to come up here and just lay on the table someday. He will. He's so cute. Alright, I guess we'll get this show on the road, shall yeah, we? I guess Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here at the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, it's up. Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. Um... A uh, whole bunch of stuff to get to today. I've got uh, Kevin Druin is here. We're going to talk a lot about Lawrence. Um, and I had a couple things I wanted to start with, and I just can't remember. Oh, we have Jeff Deal is going to be booked in, I think, in two weeks. Actually, we have Leah Cole, his running mate, is going to be in, I think, in two weeks. And then I believe the following week, we're going to have Jeff Deal in the studio. And uh, we've had Chris Doty, who's running for governor of Massachusetts for the Republican nomination. And he's running against Jeff Deal, our buddy. And now, now they're both our buddies because, because we've been friends with Jeff for five years. And Jeff has come to our bash every year. Even when he wasn't running for anything, he would come to the bash. And to me, as I said last week with Matt, that's friends for life. You come to my bash. Yeah. This year he came to the bash and the guy running against him, he's from, I think, Rentham. 
came all the way up from Wrentham, uh, if I have that right, uh, to our bash, and he stayed the entire night. We actually let him get up to the microphone and, and say a few words because he was in the room, and he's been on the show. So he, he's been on the show, and we've been trying to get Jeff Deal on, and I asked uh, Peggy, who works at the uh, Jeff Deal campaign, if we could get Chris and Jeff to do a debate on my show. Now, how great would that wow. be to have a debate for governor on the podcast, right? And her answer was, you're going to have to talk to Jeff about that because he only wants to do two. He wants to do Cooner, excuse me, and he wants to do uh, Howie Carr. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm way better than Cooner and Howie Carr. Like, those yeah. both, both of those guys are good guys, and I enjoy their shows when I'm in the car and I, and I, and I can listen to them. But I'm going to ask, like, real questions. Like, they're going to they're gonna ask, like, you know, political t- – I'm going to ask real questions about what's, what divides these two candidates – and and really kind of needle because they're both now friends of mine, so I can get away with that. Um, so I'm hoping that when Jeff does come, we can convince him to make us the third debate in the governor's race because I think that would be fantastic. I'd love to see Chris here with, uh, going at it with, with Jeff. With Jeff, because it would be dynamite. And what's interesting is that the Jeff people, and I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to screw up having them come on the show by saying anything bad. But the Jeff Deal people, they're very like they 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 don't like Chris Doty. Like, I was at the um, – oh, here's something we can talk about real quick. I was at the Dominican Father's Day Parade in Lawrence on Father's Day. And now the, Lawrence, is, Lawrence is 90% Democrat, like seriously. Anybody who's been a Republican who has ever run in Lawrence, with the with one exception, with the exception of Charlie Baker, the, every single Republican that runs in Lawrence loses either 9 to 1 or 7 to 1, and it always fluctuates in between, but it's never less. Um, I remember when – Jameson Thomasack ran against Barry Feingold, and he was in Lawrence all the time. And I remember going over to him and saying, every minute you spend in Lawrence, you're losing votes. They are not going to vote for you in Lawrence. They just don't vote for Republicans. Dominicans don't vote for Republicans. They just don't. And he didn't listen, and he did it anyway, and he got clobbered in Lawrence, and Lawrence made the difference in that election because it was Lawrence, Drake, Tuxbury, and Andover. Uh, Alex Visboli, my good friend, ran a couple of years later, and I, he had the same person running his campaign, and he was in Lawrence every day. And I said, listen, you're my friend, and I love you, but I'm, t- I'm telling you this out of love. Get the, get the fuck out of Lawrence. Spend your time in Drakeit, spend your time in Tewksbury, and knock on doors of people who will actually vote for you. Because in Lawrence, you're going to get the same vote whether you're here every day or whether you completely ignore the city. You're going to get the same number of votes. And I turned out to be right. He lost seven to one. Um, but then I was at the Father's Day event and it was all republicans this year republicans are really starting to make an inroad in the latino community in in, among latinos in america we just saw a latino republican win in texas in a district for for congress in a in a district that has not been has not gone republican since something like 1890 something wow and i remember they made a big thing about it on fox they made a big thing about it on cnn now, there's another district in Virginia that was just won by a Latino Republican in a district that I think in 50 years hasn't gone Republican. So we're starting now, finally, we're starting to see that Latinos all, all across the country, but specifically in Lawrence, are now starting to gravitate a little bit. So um, I ran into Chris Doty. He had 30 people with him. I ran into Leah Cole, who were, who's the lieutenant governor running me for Jeff Deal, and they had a bunch of people with them. I saw a guy named Dean Trand. I didn't even know he was running for Congress. He's running for Congress as a Republican. I thought he was a Democrat. I went over, I introduced myself, and I said, a Republican or Democrat? They said, Republican. 
I said, Republican? And then I turned around, and there's Jeff DeFore, who's running for state rep as a Republican in Andover. And they were very well received during that, because they were marching behind us. We were with Estella Reyes, who's a Democrat that I support for state rep. And they were behind us. And the reception that they were getting, it was pretty damn good, considering you're in the city of Lawrence. So anyways, um, that's that. Um, with me today, we have Je- we have uh, we don't have Jeff Deal. That's in a couple of weeks. No, yeah. We have Kevin Drew. Now Kevin, Kevin's the frog man. He's a very interesting guy. He's an interesting guy because he, he's he's kind of like a jack of all trades. He does lots of stuff, and they're all very interesting. He has his own business where he has um, drug sniffing canines, and he goes into places like uh, rehab centers or into homes. You can hire him if you think your kids have drugs. And he'll come in and he'll have the dog go through their bedroom and if I what is it, a couple hundred bucks they can yep. they that you can have so if you think your kid might be on drugs if you if you if you're running a group home and you think that maybe somebody there might have drugs for a couple hundred bucks Kevin will come in with his drug sniffing dog and they'll let you know whether there's drugs in there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a former teacher at Lawrence High School. We won't hold that against you. Not Lawrence High, uh, Arlington and South Lawrence East. Arlington. I taught at those. Okay. Yeah, I taught middle in school. Lawrence schools. Oh yeah. Yep. We won't hold that against you. Although we should talk a little bit about how ed- the ed- education system in Lawrence has changed. Sure. Right? Um, and he's also an advocate for the homeless. He's an advocate for TMF. He's an advocate for Daybreak. By the way, hi, everybody at Daybreak, Megan and, and uh, Karina and everybody at the Daybreak. Uh, they sponsored TMF's dinner last week. Uh, we want to thank them for that because they've got their own homeless to deal with, and they were nice enough to take some of the excess food, send it over to TMF, and sponsor the night. And I guess Megan did all the cooking. And as soon as I she was she, first of all, she's cute as hell, right? <laughs> so when I first met her, I was like, wow, she's really cute. Like I was all excited. The new director, right? The new director. She's the new director. And then when I found out that she cooked all the food, I'm like, wow, she's that good looking, and she cooks. I'm in. Yeah. I'm absolutely in. That's a, that's a that's forty points right off the yeah. top, like before you even start. You know, you, you know, um, people don't understand how much goes on behind the scenes, mm. how much teamwork between nonprofits like TMF. Uh, uh, the psychological centers group and how we work collectively. Uh, you know, many, many of many of the people don't know. You know, you leave. We were looking for you last night. You guys were gone. You and right. you and I don't. I was promising not to say her name. Okay, you be- can say be- because I'll get killed. Yeah, she'll kill you. She'll shoot me dead. I'm- but I'm going to do it. Right. Nancy Gorman. You guys sneak away. And and what a lot of people don't realize is. You guys go to the homeless encampments. Yeah. You go out into the tents, underneath the bridges. We and off-road. So forth. Off-road, definitely off-road. And that's why your vehicle is the way it is. Right. <laughs> uh, that's why I needed a Jeep. But you guys go out and you guys provide food. And one of those nights, Chris Doughty joined us. He did. You know, and, and one of the stops on the route is the daybreak. Mm-hmm. And one thing everybody in Lawrence needs to understand is uh, we have one homeless shelter, the daybreak. It consists of 44 beds, mixed men and women. There's more men, I believe, male beds than there are female beds. All 44 of those beds are full. Every night. Every night. When a bed opens up, it is full within four to six hours. There's a waiting list that's like a year long to get in there. We stood outside. Remember, we we, we stood outside, me, you, and Chris Doughty, after Chris had gone, taking a little tour of the place. And we looked back at the building, and I said to you guys, if I told you there were 44 beds in that little ranch house with a bump out, right, <laughs> that's right. what it is, essentially. It's a ranch home with a bump out that's been created. Would you believe there's 44 beds in that? And you and Chris looked at me and said, absolutely not. No. It's incredible what they do in there. And their staff and their teams at uh, 
Donna uh, Kilvin just got an award uh, for uh, leadership among women in Massachusetts for her work at the Pegasus House. And uh, Donna actually even took over Women's View and, and was kind of supervising them both at once. What is Women's View? Explain that to people. Women, Women's View and Pegasus House are two separate programs just for women. Okay? And once again, you know, a testament to any program, just like the Daybreak is, how many beds do you have and are they, are they all full? Right. And the answer is, is yes and yes in, in both facilities. Women's View is full. Pegasus House is, is full. And uh, they are for women only, women who've been abused, women who are, are transitioning from drugs, women who've had bad backgrounds and things like of that nature. But Especially women with kids. Yeah. You do a ton of activities. Uh, they have graduations for these ladies. Uh, I was fortunate enough. I was I was Santa Claus over there, and the work. Oh, you'd be a great Santa Claus. I, I, was, I can imagine I, that. I, I, I'm giving it away. I was the Santa. I was the man behind the falling beard uh, at Pegasus House this winter, and what a great job they all do, and and all three programs. Right. And good luck to Megan. She's really got her her uh, her work cut out for her. Yeah. Uh, with that program because it's jam-packed and we need a bigger facility. I just hope she stays because in this in this business, if you want to call it that, in this industry, the homeless industry, there's a huge turnover because it's tough. It's a tough job and you're not making a lot of money and you're dealing with the toughest of the tough. You're dealing with people who are level three sex offenders. You're dealing with people with alcohol and drug problems. Anger problems. Anger and violence problems. Uh, we have one homeless person, I won't mention his name, he's somebody that we love to death, We've, we helped him a lot, but I watched him one day go from zero to 100 in under five seconds, a guy came by him and bumped into him, and I guess it was a guy that had stolen his jacket the night before, and he'd been looking for him, and he turned around and cold cocked that guy and knocked him on his ass with one punch, and we never saw it coming, he was in mid-sentence when he did it, and I was like, wow, that guy's really volatile, like we had never seen that side of him. And we, we, had, we all had actually had a meeting afterwards and had a big conversation among all of us. Like, now that we know this about him, we've got to keep an eye on him, right? Because I always, I always tell uh, any of the homeless advocates that are doing this for the first time, go out and see American Sniper. And look at what happened to Chris Kyle at the very end of that movie. He was a veteran. He was a sniper. He came back. He was helping veterans with PTSD. He took this guy to the gun range because he liked to shoot. And the guy was mentally ill, and he turned his back for five seconds. The guy took the gun and shot him and killed him. And the guy was just making, like, he, he, he had this guy at his house. He had him eat dinner with his family. He'd really reached out and helped this guy a lot. And so I, I tell that story to anybody starting in, to help the homeless and getting into this, to always remember that the guy smiling at you could put a gun to your head in five seconds. That no matter what you think of any of the people that you're dealing with, they're all volatile because they, any one of them could have a mental illness that makes them violent on the snap of a finger. And you don't want to have your back turned to them. I used to tell our friend all the time, we would go to these encampments and then the food would be in the trunk. So she'd open the trunk and lean in. Now she's got her back to all these people who are surrounding her car. And I used to say, you need to have somebody come with you to park behind you to keep an eye on your back while you're doing these things. And that's actually why me and Bob go with her every every Wednesday and and sometimes on the weekend. It's definitely a job that one person should not be doing alone. No. Uh, you know, we had we had one individual. We had gone on, on on into the encampment, and we accidentally put our headlights on the tent. Oh, yeah. we're still dealing with his right. anger. <laughs> we're still dealing with him. Trying to angry. sleep. Yes, he was very angry with us because the lights hit his tent. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Right behind Mister Tuck. You know, you know what I mean. And uh, we had all sorts of goodies, but the lights on the tent. Was enough to well, well, we found off. we found out afterwards that one of the reasons why he gets so mad is that even though he's homeless, he has a full time job, and he gets up at five a.m. to go to work, and so we're we're pulling it like 
1230 at night, and we've got our headlights on, and it goes through his tent, and it wakes him up, and he gets all pissed off. Yeah. So now we've learned, turn our headlights off before we pull in, and then we leave the food outside his tent when he gets up in the morning. He's got, he's got, a, he's got a good breakfast for him it's to a, start off the day. It, it's amazing how the process starts. You know, Mike and I were talking about it last night at TMF. We had a huge crowd mm -hmm. uh, last night. And, uh, you know... You sponsored the dinner last night. It was a great dinner. Uh, Mike Agricola had to go to Mike for his wonderful gesture when he gave us the restaurant. Right. And Amanda joined us, and I told him that night, you know, I'm, I'm scheduled sometime in June. I didn't have the exact date at the time, and I said, I want to make sure I come to you for the food. And wasn't it delicious? He, he Beautiful dinner last night by uh, the team at Salvatore. So thank you, Mike, uh, for helping out. But, you know, like I said to Tom, I, uh, Mike last night, and even the Lawrence City Council... We're much more than a plate of food. Right. You know, the plate of food is what lures Lose them in. in. And now we can get an understanding of, try to build a trust with them. And that's where, right. where it starts. And once we build a trust, we can go to the next level, which is getting them the resources that just can, can, can just get them through the night at times. We're talking hand sanitizers. This was one of the, one of the clean, I don't know, what do you call it? Clean needle, um, Kits. Kits, yes. If you're an IV drug user, this is a thing that sanitizes everything. Uh, last night, we gave out headlights for the homeless. They went in like five minutes. Mike opened up a box of, of headlamps, and those things went. They had uh, comforters last night as well, and they always have clothing and things. But the idea is to give them the, the, the provisions that they need for the night. But after a while, find out what their issue is. Right. And for many of us, it's, it's a drug, drug use. It's uh, mental illness. And, and for most, it's a combination of the two. Right. And, you know, ultimately, it's to get them to... But you got to talk to them, and that's the thing, like... Building trust. I see how people in Boston go into the, some of the homeless encampments in Boston. They sweep in with food and, bl and blankets, and then they leave. And the difference between what TMF does is they make it like a one-stop shop, where if, you, if, you re if we find someone on a Wednesday night who says, I'm ready to go to rehab, I'm, I'm ready... We could put them in a car right there, and we could, we get them into Tuxbury Detox. We could, or we could pick, pick them up the next morning and get them into Tuxbury Detox. Tuxbury saves us, saves us beds, thanks to Mike Gorman. So it's when I was trying to explain this to Dan Rivera, who threw us out of the uh, of the bus station when he did that. Uh, he was like, "Well, if you just if you're showing up and you're giving food, you're going to attract homeless people." And I'm like, "No, you don't understand. That's not really what it is. The food is there as a lure to bring them in. Once we get them, you talk to them." You find out what their personal issues are, and then you try and find the resource that can help them with that. We had a couple of veterans show up at TMF on a couple of occasions. We have Sue Evans. from She was with Veterans Northeast. Now she's with another organization. Love Susan. Um, and we also, I think Randy Carter, who uh, is from ClearPath, Clear has come down. And we find a veteran that's on the streets. We can get them that night into a place to stay. The next day they go to Devons to do a physical intake. Randy will help them get all their paperwork, and they'll be in an apartment within a week or a week and a half, depending on uh, you know, what they need physically, what they need for benefits. A lot of people on the streets don't realize that because you're homeless, there are special benefits from – we can debate whether that's good or not, but there are special benefits from the state and federal government if you're homeless. Absolutely. There are certain programs, but people don't know what those programs are, so you become homeless. You don't know where to go. Where do you go? You go to City Hall. They're not gonna, they don't know, right? You come to TMF, you have experts in the field of drug addiction, you have uh, experts in the field of homelessness, especially veterans homelessness, and you talk to them, and you find out what their individual needs are, and get them off the street. And I think Michael's last count was f over 40 people since TMF started, that he has gotten off the streets and into permanent housing. That's 40 less people breaking into cars, breaking into homes, 
using drugs in the streets, assaulting you for your pocketbook. I was you. You had left last night to go do the run, right? And I don't. I couldn't believe she didn't know you. Do you know Rachel from RJ Journey? She's been coming now for about three months. I've, I've met her like just to say hi. She's like, I, I'm like, I'm going on the Valley Patriot podcast. I'm like, Valley Patriot? I'm like, that's the newspaper. And I think Danny Rice came over and he's like, Tom Duggan, you don't know who Tom is? He sits right over there. And she didn't know you. Right. And I'm like, I got to introduce you to Tom. I'm not a friendly guy. Ra- no, no. <laughs> Rachel, this is her pamphlet. And I asked her, I said, you've been coming now how long? She's under six months. And I said, roughly, Rachel, how many people have you encountered here? She said, 18 I've taken. And tonight, this was last night, she showed me paperwork on five. Wow. And Mike, Mike said, I sent her two tonight. So, you know, she's working in... The list of uh, of support that they can give everything from if you're being transitioned out of jail, drug courts, probation, reentry, uh, detox, inpatient, outpatient services, support groups. It's virtually any type of services you can need. And I know she's worked with a young girl that we both care about very much. She's done some work with with our our other friend Sam. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, she's done some work with. She's her. actually related to me, so we kind of keep an eye on her. Yes, me too. Like like a, like through a fourth. <laughs> Fourth removed. Yeah, type she, stuff. she's related to me a little bit closer than fourth okay, removed. Right. But yeah, we we, we share uh, Sam very much. But it is it's it's amazing. I actually how many finished my coffee, helped. by the way, Chrissy. First time ever. Go ahead. Congratulations. It's 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 amazing the amount of people we're taking off uh, the street, and and you know that's what I told the city council. I'm like, we're not we're not putting them on. We're we're trying to get them off the street right. to detox or to. Permit. And I'm hoping that Mark Plant, who I love to death, he's such a great guy. He does so much for the community, but he really does seem to be kind of hostile toward the, the whole TMF thing. He voted against us at the city council meeting, and and I, I kept I kept trying to find a nice way to say. But if you came, if you came and you saw what was going on, don't just come once. I come once or twice, and actually see how this works. It will change your mind because I'm a I'm a right wing conservative. I'm fur, way further to the right than Michael Plant, and I had the same idea in my head five six years ago. My and, and, and I think a lot of conservatives feel the same way. Fuck them all. Tell them to get a job. Tell them to stop using drugs and get back into society. Uh, you know they're causing their own problems. They're on the street because they burned their family. They've stolen from their family. They've gone through the whole drug thing. And that's where I was in my head until I encountered TMF. And I was driving around the city chasing police calls one night. And it was a slow night. And I came by the Buckley garage. And there's a bunch of people in there with like chairs and tables eating pizza. I'm like, what the hell is this? So we parked a half an hour away just to kind of watch to see what was going on because we knew this was not supposed to be happening. <laughs> and we watched, and people were happy, and they were hugging each other, and all of a sudden they see somebody giving somebody a sweater, and somebody opened up the trunk of their car, and they were handing out um, package, brand-new packages of socks. That it turned out to be Nancy, right? <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, you know, maybe this is something good. Like, let's, let's go. So I actually got out of my car, which I normally don't do, Got out of my car, I went over, and I started talking to some of the people there, and I met Michael, and I met Nancy and Sam, and they started telling me what their vision was for this. This was the first night. It was to provide pizza, to bring food, to bring them in, so we could learn what their problems are and help them. So I said, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. Let's see if maybe these guys are actually, like, real, or if they're full of shit like most people who fly by night, they come in, they're here for a little while, and then they leave. Well, here we are four years later. And they've gotten well over 40 people off the streets. And again, that's 40 people not breaking into cars and causing problems in the community. And I just wish that people like Mark, who were in the same mindset that I used to be in, could break that and and come and see for himself. Because I think if he did, I think his idea would change. 
I think he's an outstanding city councilor. He's a great city councilor. I really do. I think he's great. I, and and I, to be honest with you, I'd like to learn more about what his concerns are. Right. I, I never, I never found out what his what his objections were. I understand right. it's sort of an "if you build it, they will come" right. type of mentality. But and he's I, not necessarily I, wrong because we talked to these individuals. Most of them are not from Lawrence. Like Ralph is from is from New York. And there's you know people from Virginia and there's people from Boston and some people from Lowell. People from Andover, right? And uh, and and the reason for that is because Andover has no services for the homeless. <coughs> if you live in Andover, and I say it all the time, you got a million dollar home and you got a good job and something happens, your wife takes you for everything, you lose your job or you can't make your mortgage and you end up homeless for whatever reason, you've paid millions of dollars in taxes over 20 years and Andover has no services for you. You're screwed. You got to go to Lawrence. And so you have all these people from Methuen and Andover and Dracut and Salem coming into Lawrence who are homeless. And what's, what's in Lawrence? What's the biggest product in Lawrence? Drugs. So even if you weren't on drugs when you started, usually when you're on the streets for at least a week, you're usually into the drugs at that point. Yeah. And selling drugs is really the only way to make money. So some of them are using and selling. And then they become a problem because Methuen didn't do what they were supposed to do or Andover and North Andover didn't take care of their own people. And that's, that's the, my biggest frustration is every community has a senior center. Every community should have a homeless center, even if it's uh, on-call staff, right? Because North Andover, you probably don't have a lot of homeless people every day. But if it does happen, there should be somebody you can call that's on-call that can bring you to a homeless center and find out what it is that you need from the government, what kind of services you might need. If you need detox, whatever it is you need, find out what that is and then find the government program that can help them or the nonprofit program that can help them. We, we've come in Lawrence. We've come so far. Um, and, and we've made a ton of progress. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Lawrence I, is definitely on the upswing. Oh, it has been for a while, too. And I definitely want to talk about that. But our homeless problem, I was talking last night with Lawrence's homeless coordinator, 62 <clears throat> Six, I'm sorry, 60 plus families. We have not because of drugs, homeless, because of fires. Fires, right. We've got people displaced, 62 families, 60 plus families displaced because of fires. We've got, as we just talked about, our, our, our facilities are packed to the, to, to the max. And roughly, we've got about 100 plus living on the streets. Easily. And then I was told we probably have another 200 plus. What we call couch surfing. Right. Jumping around from house to house. Yeah, they're not, they're not really homeless, but they don't have a place to live. They're one step away. Right. One, one, one bad One, bad one argument with their friends. Yeah, <laughs> one, one argument away from the street. Right. But the, the security cameras. Let's, 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 let's start with one thing that's changed Lawrence dramatically. Uh, you know, city seven square miles, uh, and you put 300 plus cameras up on the poles. Yeah, I'm not, still not sure how I feel about that. I got to tell you, Pavel Payano stood up at, at, when, when this was going on. I love Roy's response to it. Pavel says, you know, reading about these cameras, they can read a text message on a telephone uh, from a quarter of a mile away. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how powerful these cameras are. I can zoom in. Uh, how are they going to be used? You know, that's my concern. You're going to be looking at someone's teenage daughter. Who, you know, what are these things going right. to be used for? They can also zoom into people's homes. Exactly. And Roy said, listen. These cameras are nothing new. They've been used in New York. They've been used in L.A., Chicago, and other big cities. And we plan on following the exact same playbook that those, those cities are using. 
Since those cameras have been installed, crime has plummeted. Yep. Plummeted. Certain crimes. Right. Okay. We've, they've solved the everything. Ran, the random violent crimes. In the oh, movements. murders. Right. They, they caught the kids dumping the girl's body into the uh, Spicket River, uh, wrapped in the couch there. They threw in there. And, uh, the guy who dropped the girl off at the hospital that was overdosed, the teenage girl that he was molesting after right. drugging up, and they caught him dumping the powder down the drain and dropping her off at the hospital. Just they, they've, they've solved countless crimes already. Um, and it's, it's great. It's causing people to reinvest in Lawrence. Um, th- then we had the gas explosions. The cameras were installed first. They had so many cameras, Tom, that at one point, Lawrence police put out on Facebook the, the picture of a, it was the back of a box truck with 31 extra cameras in it. Wow. And they were asking you, a citizen, where, where would you like these placed? Right, right. We've got so many extras. Tell us where you want one and we'll try to get it to you. I called up and had one put in an alleyway that I was right. concerned about. But it's just everywhere you go in Lawrence, if you commit a crime on the street, they're going to get you. They're going to get you. They're going to yeah. get you relatively quick. Right. And they've already proven that. They don't sleep. They work 365 days a year. And as long as you've got a cop that's paying attention to the, to the monitors, these things are going to reduce crime in your city. Right. And Lawrence, I think, is at a 40-year low yes. on crime. Violent crime. Restaurants. And stolen cars, too. You can't Lawrence was the stolen car capital of the world. You can't steal it without being on tape. Right. You know, you really can't. Plus, you've got... There's no neighborhood you can go in Lawrence where the residents don't have cameras outside their homes. Uh, I pulled over – when they passed this new law, you can't text and drive. Now I text and drive all the time. So I was, I was driving through, and I was, I was up on Prospect Hill, and I pulled over, and I think I was on like Woodland Street. I pulled over, and I'm sending a text message because I had something really going on. And so it took me like three or four minutes to have this discussion. And I looked up, and there were two cruisers around my car. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm sending a text message. Well, what are you doing in this neighborhood? I was driving through this neighborhood when the text came in, so I pulled over to answer it. Oh, well, it's a high-drug area. Well, all of Lawrence is a high-drug area. What do you mean it's a high-drug area? It's a high-drug area, and we had, we had five different calls from five different people in this neighborhood that there was a car sitting outside their house. So I, I get it, right, because you have people who they'll give a random address in Lawrence. You meet me in front of this house or in this neighborhood, pull over. They'll pull over. They'll exchange drugs for We're going to talk about money, that in a minute. And then they'll drive away. But I'll, I was just sending a text. But it wasn't five minutes before there was two two cops surrounding my two cruisers surrounding my car. Uh, my my it, all of these things are good, but there is a drawback. And I'm a civil libertarian, if nothing else. I'm a First Amendment guy. I've been watching you, and I have a really hard time with how long they're going to keep these, and for what nefarious purposes they can be used for. Now I know Roy. Went to St. Pat's with him. He's a couple years behind me. He's a good guy. He, I think he's an honest guy, and I do think he's doing a good job as chief. However, he's not going to be there forever. And the people who work there at the police department, they're all good guys that we know of, but there might be a couple that might not be good guys who can abuse this kind of thing. And the chief has always said, well, we don't actually have somebody sitting there watching the cameras. Usually it's we'll get a report of a stolen car on Lawrence Street, and then we'll, it was 5 o'clock last night. They'll camera. go back to that camera. They'll rewind the tape to 5 o'clock last night to see who it was. That I get. What I don't like is the government is storing all this information. How long are they going to keep it, and how long is it going to be available? And is it a public record, right? Is, are those tapes a public record? If I, as a citizen, say, I want to know what was happening on Boxford Street on Friday night. I heard there was a shooting. I want, I want copies of that videotape to see if they got it on camera. They're not going to give it to you. They're going to they're going to fight with you to give you the, to give right. it, to give you that. Even though it's 
you have no expectation of privacy when you're in that neighborhood and there's a government camera sitting there watching you, it's still very difficult. So I, I have some I have some serious reservations about them put the government putting up cameras everywhere and at the same time encrypting their police scanner so we can't see what our public servants are doing on our behalf. And I see these two things happening together and it scares me. Because I read 1984. It was supposed to be a warning by George Orwell. There were some people using it as a manual. And it's giving the government way too much power. Way, way, way too much power. It's certainly letting them take a look at what's going on everywhere at all times. Right. And the good thing is it is reducing crime. I'm just, some I'm, some crime. I'm just wondering at what cost. Like if 10 years from now that you have like literally zero privacy and the government is logging your movements everywhere you go, I think that's a problem. Technology... Technology is being being used as a good thing, mm-hmm. and it can certainly be used as a as a, as bad, a bad thing. thing. Uh, one crime that I don't think the cameras are helping with is drug dealing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we kind of talked about it inside. We talked about this, I think, at your office one day. You know, not not very long ago. I'm talking about a, two years. Two years ago, I want a finger of heroin. I do exactly what we were just talking about. You were just saying, I call you up. I tell you what I want. You tell me the price. We meet at a location. You bring the drugs. I bring the money. We exchange them hand to hand. Somebody sees us on their camera. Right. Somebody sees us and says, hey, this guy, a red SUV, and I got another guy, they're, they're, they're exchanging drugs on my street. Can you give me his license plate number? Oh, okay, I can give you his license plate number. And before you know it, the cops are waiting outside your house, monitoring your progress. They've got a lead on a drug deal. Right. Okay. Two years later, I want that same finger of heroin from you, and you're the same drug dealer. We no longer meet up. I no longer bring green pieces of paper and hand them to you. I pick up my phone. I Venmo you the payment. You then take my finger of heroin, and you go to, I don't know, the South Common, and we have a designated area. You place those drugs there. Five minutes later, I come over walking my dog. I grab those drugs, and no one in the neighborhood has had the opportunity to call a cop on us. And it's made these anonymous tip lines, you know, they're not getting. I've talked to many law enforcement. The whole reason I I got kind of involved with this type of thinking was a policeman said, how you been doing at work? I said, good. I said, said, what's strange is my, my last three finds have been on the exterior. I found heroin in a balloon in a bush. I found two vaping cartridges in a plastic container. I mean, it was sealed for somebody to pick up. It was, it was a drop-off and delivery type thing. And I also had a treatment center say, we've had issues with drones dropping stuff into our yard. And so it's made the criminals smarter. It's made it easier. And it's made it more difficult on police to say, who the hell is dealing these drugs? It's, 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 it's much less out in the open. There's no right. more Kevin meets the drug dealer out on the street. We exchange. Or that drug dealer's got 30 people coming to his house and a neighbor calls up and says, you know, it's people coming and going from this house at all hours of the evening. We, this guy's a drug dealer. Right. You're getting a lot less of those tips. And that's exactly what the cop said to me. He said, we're noticing a lot more uh, drop-offs and deliveries. And it's because of these cash exchange apps that allow you to no longer have to put cash in And a lot of those hand. are encrypted now, so the cops can't even get them. The black web is, uh, the dark web is encrypted as well. Yeah. Did you see uh, Howie Kai, did you read Howie Kai yesterday? No. He talked about this drug dealer, Fats. Uh, he was like the largest North Shore drug dealer, uh, pressing counterfeit pills in Lynn mm-hmm. and uh, neighboring towns in Lynn, and they finally caught him and his mother. I think he got 23 years yesterday for his crimes. But it's like, you can import this stuff on the on the dock web, buy a pill press, 
and and have the stuff shipped to us. I think you had something about somebody getting kilos of cocaine yeah, to, in the mail. It, you, you, they get it shipped to you to, to 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 now on the dark web. And what's dangerous about that is. The dark web, if, if, if I'm selling you cocaine or I'm selling you fentanyl and you're in Lawrence, Massachusetts and I'm in Beijing, China, it comes up as me and you are two foreign people. You're in Germany and I'm in Italy doing these transactions. Right. But you're in Lawrence and I'm in China. Right. Everything you is can mask everything the buyer and the seller are masked. Their addresses and their locations are masked. And the products they're even purchasing are masked. Right. It, it's unbelievable how convenient this technology has made drug dealing. Right. It really has. Not convenient to steal a car, uh, to rob a purse off somebody. Once again, the government's watching. Right. But if you want to take a stroll in the park and drop drugs somewhere, I don't think anybody's going to pick you up doing it. Right. You know, and, and to get it, your, your money shipped onto your phone in the bank, there's no more fighting with you. There's no more you trying to rob me of my drugs right. when I arrive. And, and it's, I got paid, I'm going to go deliver his drugs. Right. And, and we're never even going to see each other. Right. And it's made that real challenging for law enforcement. Yeah. Lawrence has gotten better in a lot of other areas too. Community development has gotten better a lot. A lot, a lot of new businesses have moved to Lawrence. Oh Surprisingly, a lot of businesses. Oh my god! And good for me. Um, we're going to do a show next week on uh, restaurants. Uh, what what restaurants are? Good. We're going to do a restaurant review show. Uh, we actually taped it before the show, which is why I'm wearing the same shirt. Um, um, I forgot what I was going to say now. You just got, I got, New I restaurants got, oh, at Lawrence? Yeah. I'll, I'll rattle off about 10 of them. Oh, well, well, right uh, the one I want to try, I've had the food because they sponsored TMF one night, but Michelina's on Essex Street has phenomenal Dominican food. Uh, Phenom- I, was, I was looking at these homeless people and they were looking at me going, I can't believe how good this food is. We're eating better than most people who have homes tonight. <laughs> and, I, and I asked, where did the food come from? And they said it came from Michelina's. Yeah. Come to find out our, our good friend, uh, Brian Thomas, who um, got an award at the Bash a few years ago and a check? Uh, his wife owns that. Really? So, and I didn't. I the didn't realize. Guy? That, yeah, the camera guy. Okay, yeah. So, uh, and I, I actually tried the food at Mama Juana's on Essex Street. Not Great. bad. Yep. It wasn't. It wasn't as good as Michelinas, but it was. But it was good. Have you tried Japu? No, actually, I did. I did. I went with uh, Thomas Michelle, um, who, who was running for city council. I think a couple of years ago, brought me there, and I had the I had the spicy seafood soup, and it was really good. Oh, Japu's tremendous. Sazon Peru is tremendous. Another yeah. great restaurant. It's Al Caldor. If you haven't eaten over there, I think it's connected to one of the Lawrence City Councilors has somebody that that uh, is a family member that owns that. But that's right, the old Muniers. Okay. And the old Muniers restaurant. Uh, yeah, the restaurant scene, Vaca on Essex Street. It's tremendous. There's a new taco place on South Union Street that I tried the other day. Passion? It was re- yes, it was very good. you got to hit the food. Honestly, I like the food truck that they have more than the restaurant really? that they have. Yeah, the food truck's dynamite. That's right on South Broadway at night. Okay. Uh, the restaurant. I kind of have a rule about food trucks in, in general. Oh, that food truck's fun. But, um, but I did try, when we made that movie, uh, Law Town, yep. and I had the camera crews riding around with me, and one of the camera crew guys said, you really can't come to Lawrence and make a movie without stopping and eating off one of the food trucks. I'm like, go, go ahead, you, you yes, go do that. Yes, I'll, sit in the, I'll sit in the car. And he convinced me to come out and have one. It actually was pretty good. Yeah, some good, great, really, really great restaurants and food trucks. That'll be a good show. Yep. The only problem with Lawrence is parking, right? I mean, most places it's a hard time get, do it, getting parking. Um, but there's a, a brewery that just opened on Island Street in Lawrence that... Um, Spicket River. Spicket River Brewery. Um, a little pricey. But the food is really good. I'll tell you. I'm, and plenty of parking. And you're talking to somebody who drinks like Budweiser. You know, right, right. it's like 3% alcohol. You walk into Spicket River Brewery, some of those beers have 10, 11, 12% right. alcohol. They'll, 
they'll knock me down pretty good over there. It's it's a great brewery, Spicket River. Yeah. That whole area is, is booming. Yeah. That whole uh, Essex Art Center. The area. only thing that's not improving in Lawrence is the schools. The schools are worse than they were when the state took over. Kids are getting a far more inferior education now than they were five years ago. And they're certainly getting a far inferior education than kids in the end, white kids in Andover and white kids in North Andover are getting. And I, 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 blame, I blame the administration and I blame the state. Yeah, I blame the administration as well. What went on at Lawrence High School this past school year, spare me the COVID the kids were locked in, and they've right. got anger. It didn't happen at the Vogue. Right. It's the same kids from the same city. It's not happening at Central. It it's didn't happen happening. at the Vogue. It didn't happen at Central. The, the kids weren't lighting furniture on fire at the Vogue. They weren't having sex in the hallways. They were not having sex being taped in the hallway. There wasn't a full-blown barber shop in a bathroom at the Vogue. These types of adult lack of supervision, if a kid isn't in your class, you report them. Right. And if an assistant principal or a security guy doesn't go locate that kid, now it's on them. Right. But you have a job as a teacher that if someone is supposed to be in your class and they're not there, you just don't close the door and continue on with your lesson. You let somebody know we've got someone loose in this building that needs to be accounted for. And there are so many lapses in adult supervision at the. You don't really. I haven't seen too much problem at the middle schools. I didn't see any any recordings from the Arlington or any recordings from any other middle schools. But what went on at Lawrence High this year was disgusting. Mm-hmm. It was. It, it got to the point where Saj a Purdy asked me to donate to the Bobby LeBlanc uh, scholarship, which which I did. Uh, we he sold some squares I think for a Super Bowl and I had bought. Mm-hmm. But I was at a point where I was getting angry. And I'm like, I don't even want to give money to a kid at Lawrence High at this point. That school is so mismanaged and out of control. Hopefully they get things together over there pretty quickly because yeah. it is. It's an inferior education. It is. And, and it's, to me, it's racism. You want to talk about systemic racism, they talk about systemic racism in policing. The real systemic racism is in our education system because Lawrence gets far more money than Andover and North Andover per student, and they do a much more horrible job. Terrible. And you can't tell me... That these kids aren't learning because they're Latinos and Latino kids are stupid. You just can't tell me that. But the excuses that we get from our leaders is even we had candidates here who say the same thing. Well, Tom, you know, they come from homes that don't speak English and it's violence in their neighborhoods. And I'm like, yeah, but if you take that same kid and put him in Central, he does good. So don't tell me it's the neighborhood or the parents or the environment or, or the language or any of that. It's that your low expectations are so low that kids are only going to come up to the expectation that you have of them. And the other thing is no discipline. If a kid hits another kid or a kid hits a teacher, most of the time that kid's back in the classroom the next day. There's no real consequence for that kid. And that's on the administrators. That's not state funding. It's not federal rules. It's not the school committee. That's how you implement your job. Yeah, and that's another big thing. Is, you know, I talked a couple, couple city councilors were upset. Uh, we can't get the, the uh, superintendent to come answer questions in front of us. And I said to them, she, she really can give you guys the finger. Right. She doesn't have to listen to you. You're not her boss. Right. Jeffrey Riley's her boss, and she's appointed by him right. to run these schools. She's not going to last long. I hope she doesn't. I hope she's thrown out of here because yeah. the administration's a big part of the problem. It is. But at the same time, until we get rid of receivership in the school system, this lady can continue to give the city council, the school committee, and the parents the finger right. and say, I'm not coming, and I don't have to answer to you. Right. Uh, we've got Kevin Drew in here. I appreciate you letting us go a little over. I didn't realize that we were time was up. You can roll up, Mel. Um, Kevin Drew and I appreciate you being here. Great you, being here. Have, anytime you want to come on, I'd love to have you. Uh, I, I come on anytime. Be you like want. a be like a, an off and on co-host or something. <laughs> Great discussion. I thought next week we're going to do a restaurant review. I eat out at least three or four nights a week. 
and we found a lot of places that we used to go to before COVID that really suck now, and we'll tell you what some of those are. And we've also found places that we never used to like that we've tried since COVID that are doing a phenomenal job, whether whether it's service or quality of food. So um, make sure you tune into that show next week. One of the guys sponsors, McLennan Real Estate, Century 21 in Thuin. If you're going to buy or sell a house, this is the time to do it. Call McLennan Real Estate, AFC Urgent Care. We love Lisa Williams and everybody in AFC Urgent Care, Methuen and North Andover. Marsan and Sun Construction, EIS Investigation and Gun Training, Borelli's Deli, where I'm getting my hot sausages, getting ready for uh, Fourth of July weekend. And if you haven't invited me to your barbecue, you should be doing that. Uh, Tomo and Shaken Seafood. Lazy River Products in Drake it and a free shout-out to Clear Path for Veterans New England and Sullivan Insurance. Sounds like Melvin Taylor says you got to go home. So go home already. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.